0: We're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ogi Ogwe, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. Alright, 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 alright. I want to show you guys a video. Should you have the video. Alright, I want to show you guys a video. We been meaning to show you guys like all month long, but... I decided today that I would watch the video. So it's basically a video explaining what it means when we say Jesus died for three days and three nights, right? Um, I know if you've done the mathematics, if he died on Good Friday, and woke up on Sunday morning, it's not three days because it does not add up. Huh? So yeah, this video kind of like explains it better.
1: The only sign that Jesus gave of Him being the Messiah was that He would be in the grave three days and three nights. But can this be proven from Scripture and plotted on a timeline? One of the biggest problems when it comes to proving this one sign is that most of us have difficulty calculating three days and three nights from Friday evening to Sunday morning. One question is, did He actually mean three full days, or was He referring to parts of days and parts of nights? The Greek phrase, three days and three nights, in the New Testament can actually mean parts of three days and three nights. But even if we use this logic, there's still not a third night period between Friday evening and Sunday morning. And we're still left with a confusing scenario that can't be plotted on a timeline. But actually, it is possible to prove the chronology of the three days and three nights from Scripture, and to plot it on a timeline, proving the one incredible sign of His Messiahship. When the Jewish leaders asked for a sign of his Messiahship, he told them no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The Old Testament Hebrew phrase he referred to literally means three full days and three full nights, or 72 hours. He also said in John 2 verse 19, He would be raised from the grave in three days, Mark 8 31 records after three days, and Luke 24 46 says he would rise from the dead the third day. So assuming it was a full 72 hours, let's construct a timeline using the eyewitness events recorded in the Gospels. To start, we need to consider the fact that the Jews and the disciples of Jesus did not keep the Christian holidays we think of today, Rather, they celebrated the Passover and a festival called the Days of Unleavened Bread, cited in Luke 22, verses 1 and 7. Leviticus 23, 5-7 through explains that the day immediately following the Passover was actually a high day, or annual Sabbath, which was different from the weekly Sabbath they observed on Saturdays. These observances began at sunset and ended at sunset the next day. So when Jesus died in 31 AD, The Passover began on a Tuesday evening, while the High Day Sabbath, mentioned in John 19, verse 31, started on a Wednesday evening at sundown and ended at sunset Thursday, which means that the Friday that year actually fell between two Sabbaths, an annual Sabbath on Thursday and the weekly Sabbath on Saturday. Now let's look at the details and fill in the timeline. Jesus celebrated the Passover with His disciples in Luke 22, 13-15, which happened right after sunset Tuesday evening. Then, right after the Passover meal, they went out to the Mount of Olives where Jesus prayed three times while His disciples kept falling asleep. Later that night, Jesus was betrayed, arrested, and taken to the Jewish authorities. Mark 15, 1 then tells us, In the morning, that is Wednesday morning, the chief priests and other Jewish leaders... Jesus led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Verse 25 says at 9 a.m. that morning the crucifixion of Jesus Christ began. Then from 12 to 3 p.m. there was darkness over the land and finally at the end of the darkness we're told in Mark 15 verses 34 and 37 that Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. The Savior of the world died for everyone who ever lived. But at some point between 3 p.m. and sundown, as John 19.31 says, Because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. In other words, they wanted to make sure they were all dead so they could get them in their graves before the sun went down and the annual Sabbath began. But at this point, Jesus was already dead. Then in Mark 15, verses 42 through 47, we see that just before the sun set Wednesday evening, beginning the annual Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body of Jesus and laid him in his tomb while Mary and the other women watched. So shortly after laying him in his tomb, the sun set and the holy day, or annual Sabbath, began. Then Friday morning, as Mark 16, 1 points out, when the Sabbath had passed, or the high day Sabbath as John called it, the women bought spices so they can embalm him as the shops would have been closed for the holy day. After purchasing the spices, Luke twenty-three fifty-six says, they returned and prepared the spices and fragrant oils and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Instead, this time it was the weekly Sabbath, which began at sundown Friday evening and ended at sunset Saturday evening. So as the sun was going down Friday evening to begin the weekly Sabbath, it had already been two full days and two full nights. However, it wasn't until Sunday morning that they would go back to embalm the body of Jesus as the Sabbath they had to pass and then they couldn't make progress on the project at night. So ready to take care of their Savior's body, Luke 24 verse one shows they arrived on the first day of the week very early in the morning having brought the spices and oils they prepared on Friday before they rested on the Sabbath. While John 20 verse 1 says, Mary actually showed up while it was still dark. But at this point, it had been one, two, three days and one, two, three, four nights since he was laid in his tomb. So as Luke 24, 2 through 3 explains, when they showed up, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb and when they went in, He was already gone. Going on, verses 6 and 7 record the angel saying, He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you saying, The Son of Man must be crucified and the third day rise again? The end of the third full day was Saturday evening just before sunset. He was put in the grave as the sun was going down Wednesday evening before the holy day began. So the first night was Wednesday night, the first day was Thursday day, the second night was Thursday night, the second day was Friday day, the third night was Friday night, and the third day was Saturday day. Then, just before the sun went down Saturday evening, Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead exactly three days and three nights from the time He was put in His tomb to the time He was resurrected, just as He said He would be, fulfilling the one sign of His Messiahship. Being able to understand and prove the sequence of events from Scripture can strengthen our belief in Jesus Christ as the one true Messiah.
0: Hallelujah. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like he said at the end of the video, being able to, being able to understand and prove the activities or the claims of scripture from scripture, um, it strengthens your faith in Jesus Christ. Do you understand? The fact that you can actually look at history and say, "Yeah, just like Jesus said he would, he did." All right. So, yeah, I just wanted us to see that video. Um, so that you know, so you know. Yeah, that's better. Just so you know. All right, all right. Praise the Lord. All right, let's go into today's teaching. Hebrews chapter five. Hebrews chapter number five. Are you there? Hebrews chapter 5. All right. Hebrews chapter 5 starts by saying, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things to God, or in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. And um we discussed this um I've taught you this several times. I'm sorry, I'm trying to organize my thoughts. Okay, so I've taught you this several times that when you are reading scripture and you see a chapter or a verse start with the word for. What do you do? You go back and check what was written before. If you see the word for, you check what was written before. Because no statement in English language Starts with because. Like it's weird. Like somebody just walks up to you and says, "Because I was sleeping yesterday night." You're like, "Okay." What am I supposed to do with this piece of information you just gave to me? All right, because is a state is a, is a, is a word or a conjunction of context. It puts things in context. If I say because, I'm saying because with respect to something that I said before. Why did you not come to church early? Because I woke up late. Alright. So if somebody walks in on the conversation and hears because I woke up late, he can't assume that that's all we are conversing about. He has to assume that that's a response to something I said before. Alright. So go back to Hebrews chapter 4. Let's read from verse 14. Last week we read Hebrews 4 all the way to verse 13. Um, But today we want to read from verse 14. It says, Seeing then... That we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. This statement is very, very interesting because it presents to you the idea of Christianity, basically. You see, the reason why you are supposed to hold fast your profession as a Christian is because you have a great high priest. Now, in Hebrews chapter 4, he kept on talking about how you have a high priest who can sympathize with the things you're going through. Someone who understands what it means to be human. He now says, Because you have such a person, hold fast your profession, hold fast your confession of faith. A lot of people don't realize that your duty to God is a response to his love for you. Do you understand what I just said? Your duty to God is a response to his love for you. And if you don't first see God as Father before you see him as Lord, you will be in a religious Christianity. The idea, um, you know, religion basically... And that's where we get all these rules. Don't do this. Don't be like this. So you now have an idea of God as a taskmaster who is waiting for you to make the slightest mistake before he says, okay, I caught you there. But your duty to God is on the basis of his love for you. Your love for God is a response to his love for you. John says, we love because you first loved us. Do you see? So, I don't know what it means to love God outside of understanding his own love. When Jesus teaches us to forgive, he doesn't just say forgive. He says forgive because your father forgives. And that's what basically Paul was telling... um, Philemon when he said the communication of your faith may be made um, effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. He was just basically telling Philemon that, see, God has forgiven you, therefore forgive the next person. So, you must never see um, your relationship with God as duty. or oh, I must do this for God to be pleased with me. You see, it's the other way around. I was talking to a young woman, um, a young lady yesterday. And I was explaining to her how our surrender to God is not because we want Him to be pleased with us. We surrender to God because He has surrendered everything to us. Do you understand? We surrender everything to Him because He has surrendered everything for us. When you sit down and behold the love of god for you your response would be to love him back do you get what i'm saying so he says seeing that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast our profession the reason why i will keep trying every day to live above sin is not because god wants me to live above sin so he'll be pleased with me no He has done everything and put everything, he has done everything in his power to help me. So now it's my turn. I respond. Do you get that? Next verse. For we have not a high priest. You see that word for? For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I explained this to you last week. All right. When he says he was tempted in all points as we are, it doesn't mean that Jesus Christ a lady came to tempt him, um, you know, to sleep with him. It doesn't really mean that, or that at some point Jesus was tempted to steal meat from his mother's pot. <laughs> really, like you can't verify all of that. Okay. But I explained to you that every temptation that we ever face in life comes in three forms: lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and what? The pride of life. Great. And so, Jesus Christ was tempted in those three ways. And this is not an arbitrary statement. It's a statement that makes reference to the temptation of Jesus Christ in Matthew 4 and Mark chapter 4. Do you understand? When the devil came to tempt him. And he says he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. Which means that Jesus Christ understands what it means to be weak. You know, we have this idea of Jesus as somebody who has done all the good, and he is now like, I've done it, so you must do it. I don't want to know what you are saying. If I could do it, you too, you must do it. But Jesus Christ was about to die, and he was really afraid. How do I know he was afraid? (laughs) You know, people would always say, he prayed and he sweated like blood. As as a sign for the intensity of his prayer, if if you talk to um, medical um, practitioners, they would explain to you that that experience where your sweat, you start to your blood starts to seep through your pore holes is a sign of fear, morbid fear, like tangible fear. I don't know if you've been afraid like that before. You wake up from a dream and it's like you can taste the fear. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what Jesus was going through. The man did not want to die. Because he was a man like me and you. Nobody wants to die. He knew he was supposed to die, but why did he pray father? I mean, this was Jesus who, before he died, he was, he was giving parables. I go to my father, so that where I am, he may be with me also. He said, I must drink of this cup, and you too, you will drink of it. You know, he, was, he was laying steady parables, you know, Instagram quotes. Then he's in the garden of Gethsemane. And he says, see, I don't want to die. <laughs> Let this cup pass over me. I'll go where." He was a man like you. So imagine him. At this heightened state of fear. And I don't know whether he's worried. And he calls his closest guys. And he's like, guys, please pray with me. I beg. And then he comes out and he sees them sleeping. So he said, guys. Could you not wait with me for one hour? Like it's just guys, I'm about to die. One hour. And then he says, okay, they say, okay, so we'll do it now. We'll do it now. And, and Jesus goes back to his prayers and he comes back and they are asleep. I can imagine him waking Peter up and Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter. <laughs> And when Jesus had done this three times, he said, don't worry, I understand. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know it was Jesus that made that statement. It was Jesus giving an excuse for people who are supposed to be praying with him. So, when you falter, understand that Jesus knows that the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You have a great high priest who is not. See, he says, "For we have not a great high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities; he is not unfamiliar with what it means to be in weakness." Can you imagine the hunger Jesus must have felt after forty days of fasting? You, it's not forty days you fasted; it's six o'clock in the morning till like three in the afternoon, and you want to kill somebody. And Jesus had fasted forty days; he was really hungry. Imagine the kind of tiredness that you must be feeling, that you'll be sleeping in the midst of a storm. Habba. (laughs) So this was a man like you. Next verse. So he now says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. A lot of people think that God wants them to come at their moments of perfection. So I will set myself in order first before I go and meet God. You know, I I was watching um, an interview where a certain man of God was speaking, and they asked him, "What do you have to say to younger ministers to show them um, to be able, like, to teach them to have the same amount of impact in ministry as you have had?" And the man said, "Well, you know, you have to prove to God that you love Him. You have." Convince is your everything. I said, Miss the point, sir. <laughs> ah, but Pastor Hogi, you've not done as much as he has done. How do you know he has missed the point? Well, Paul said. <laughs> Paul says, our ministry, our sufficiency is not of ourselves. Is of God who has made us able ministers of the new covenant. So The attitude you would have as a Christian to righteous living is God has enabled me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Why do I know that I'm able to live above the sexual temptations that are around me every day? God has enabled me. When you think that way, you realize that you will come boldly to the throne of grace, that you will obtain mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. Why did he make this statement? He said, because you don't have a high priest who is not touched by your infirmities. So your high priest knows when it's your time of need. Do you see? He knows when it is your time of need and he says, come. That's when I need you to come. A lot of people want to go to God in their time of perfection when they are not in need. They want to go before God and say, God, I fast every Wednesday. I live a fasted life. And I pray six hours. Every day. <laughs> and, you <want> God, <laughs> and you want God to be pleased with you. And I was, I was talking to this young lady yesterday. And she told me she's angry with God. I said, who, who told you you have a right to be angry at God? But she said, hey, why? I asked her, why are you angry at God? I said, because he allowed things to happen to me. I said, hey, how do you know he allowed? And he's the one that controls the universe. And then I asked her, you really believe him, that he's the one that controls the universe, what makes you think? That your anger matters. (laughs) Why is so arrogant? Like, (laughs) what makes you think that your anger, like, okay, so the person that runs this universe now, you're angry at him, and your anger should matter for what? She said, "Eh, so does it mean he doesn't care? I said, no, 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 he cares. He really does care. That's the reason why your anger matters because he cares about you. But so I asked her. We went forward, and I asked her, um, why do you think he didn't do anything about your situation? Why are you angry that he didn't do anything about you? And she said, because I was so committed, you know, to him. And I said, see, let me explain something to you. In your commitment, you were a sinner. Like, at the height of your commitment, you were a very terrible sinner. Partially because I knew what her problems were. I mean, she was struggling with a couple of things at the time when she was committed. So I'm like, young woman, I even knew you then. And I asked her, by your understanding of the standards of God's goodness... Do you think that in your committed times you were good enough? She said, "Eh, hey, but I was trying. I said, trying is not, almost does not kill a bird. I mean. <laughs> so you have people who consistently tell you or present the idea of God as a person who wants you to measure up. God doesn't want you to measure up. God wants you to see that he has measured you up. Do you understand? That's the difference. He wants you to see that he has measured you up. (laughs) Anyway. And I think the problem is that many of us grew up in Christian homes. I think that's actually the problem. (laughs) That we grew up in Christian homes. Because Jesus said that it's the person that was forgiven more that will understand forgiveness. Do you understand? He will appreciate it more. Because if and many of us don't tell ourselves the truth, amen. We we buy to the lie that we tell other Christians. You know how when Christian brothers and sisters gather and they start talking about exploits. So last night I was praying and the Lord said, "My." And, and then now, now you have painted this idea of a relationship with God that is so beautiful, that is so wonderful. Nobody knows that you have flaws. You they don't think you have flaws. What? and then you now buy that light when you are talking to God (laughs) and then you grew up in a Christian home and you were doing good all by yourself and then now you think God I'm good I'm not like all those other people that are not good you don't understand that before God the native doctor and the liar are equal in sin praise the Lord And that's why you don't have a high priest that is not touched by your infirmities. You have somebody who understands what you are going through. And God showed his love to you by sending his son to die for you. And the simplicity of how you receive eternal life is a show of God's love. All you need to do is believe. Think about that. So he says boldly, come come unto the throne of grace, that you obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Brothers and sisters, the best time to go talk to God is when you have messed up. I'm not saying you should keep messing up every day. Alright. But I'm telling you that in your mess up, don't run away. You don't see a baby who has wet his diaper running away from his mother. I've got to fix this before my mother comes back. That doesn't happen. Say, ah, mommy's coming back. I've got to fix this. I need I need wipes. <laughs> where can I get wipes? Hello shop Do you deliver to? <laughs> that doesn't happen now does it? That's the futility of man. And-, <laughs> and that was the mistake Adam made. Adam made a mistake. And what did he do? He went to go and hide himself. Okay. You went to hide yourself from the person that created the place where you are hiding. <laughs> are you thinking? What were you planning to achieve? next verse it says for every high priest so why is he making this statement you don't have a high priest that is not touched by your infirmities let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain grace and find obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need he now says because every high priest taken from among men or every high priest is taken from among men and is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. This statement is very important because what he's saying to you is, the reason why God ordains high priests from amongst men is for men. Do you understand? God will not give you a high priest that is not a man like you, that does not understand what it means to be a man. Next verse explains it. He now says, Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. He says, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Look at that. Since he himself is beset with weakness. Many times you would say, many times people think of Jesus Christ and they say things like, "And hey, that was Jesus now. Bros. J. That Jesus, we are different. But he says Jesus Himself was beset with weakness. He knew what it meant to be hungry. He knew what it meant to be angry. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so when in your anger you say and do things, Jesus understands. Praise the Lord. I mean, think about the fact that Jesus was on the cross. Ah. (laughs) I've heard a lot of people say a lot of funny things. Jesus was on the cross, spread out like that, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you think about it, how did God forsake Jesus? Because, Like, he was sent to die. He knew from the beginning. And now he's on the cross and he's like, God, you slide me. People say, "Eh, that means God left Jesus. Well, the next statement was, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. So, did God leave him or not? (laughs) So, you see that that statement, why has thou forsaken me, was a man in fear, anger, and pain. (laughs) He was a man like you. He understood what it meant to be like you. He knew what it meant to suffer. So, he knows what it means to go through what you are going through. And Jesus Christ, he makes sure every day that you know that he understands. Think about it. I said this last week. He died and he came back from the dead. And if he could take care of death, what were those scars that he could not take care of? Those scars, he left them there for you, not for himself. It's not not a beauty spot. (laughs) He left those scars there for you. So some was doubting and Jesus said, these are the scars. Put your hand inside. Know that I'm truly who I say I am. Just to tell you that I can relate with what you are going through. Your scars are my scars. Your pains are my pains. Do you understand what I'm saying? Next verse. Now it says, because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. So now he's talking about the human high priests, okay? Next verse. He now says, and no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Next verse. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. If you don't understand that phrase, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Download Two messages, two, two messages ago. Next verse. He now says, As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Two Sundays from now we are going to talk about Melchizedek. Next verse. He now says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Next verse. Having, or although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Pause. Or you know what, before we pause, next verse. And being made perfect, that word perfect is the Greek word teleos, it means mature or complete. So his obedience being made complete. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. How many of you were in church last week? Alright, we talked about the sin of the Hebrews, the Jewish people in the old testament, right? And we talked about how that sin was a sin of disobedience, right? And what was that sin? Unbelief. Do you remember? So when he says to all who obey him, what's he talking about? Belief or faith. Do you see that? Do you see that? Now go back to the previous verse. When he says, and although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Um, that word obedience is, okay, Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so, grout, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and see which easily besets us, and let us run with meekness, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Next verse. He now says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When he said he learned obedience through the things he suffered, this is what he was referring to. Do you see? Because in enduring the cross, Jesus was displaying faith in the plan of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand that? Raise your hand if you understand. Raise your hand if you don't understand. Alright. Now, I told you that several times, God's plan, God's plan was revealed in the Old Testament, Right? And he revealed it in various forms. okay. And the Old Testament believers were judged based on their faith in the promise to come. We are judged based on the faith in the promise that has already been fulfilled. But the Old Testament believers looked forward. Do you get that? Do you understand? Great. So, in For example, in Abraham obeying and taking Isaac to go and be sacrificed, it was faith in God's plan in Christ. Do you understand? Do you understand? Great. Um, Moses giving the law, um, the children of Israel doing a number of things. Um, I'm I'm I'm, I'm looking for examples. I've talked about Abraham. we have talked about Moses. You have David. You have Miriam. You have Aaron. You have several people who expressed faith. I mean, look at Rahab. If you go to Hebrews 11, it talks about Rahab and her own expression of that faith was saving despise. And in Hebrews 11, it tells us that in saving despise, Miriam Rahab, the prostitute, was expressing faith in what God was going to do in Christ. Do you, do you get that? Do you see that? So, you have a lot of people in the Old Testament express faith in the things they did. And Jesus was not any different. Do you get that? In dying on the cross, he showed that he believed in the work that God was going to do. You understand? Do you understand? In dying on the cross, he showed that he believed that through his death, he's going to bring people into sonship. Praise the Lord. Great. So he says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God? Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 5. He now says, and be made perfect. What was that word perfect? Go back to the previous verse. He says, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And be made perfect. It was the suffering that was made perfect. And how was that suffering made perfect? The suffering was his death, his burial, and it was perfected at his resurrection. Do you see? Do you see that? So, be made perfect. Next verse. He became the source of eternal salvation. Everybody say eternal salvation. salvation. Everybody say eternal salvation. salvation. So don't speed read through things like that. If salvation is not eternal, it is not what Christ provided. Praise the Lord. If salvation is not eternal, then it is not the salvation that Christ provided. If you believe in a salvation that is not eternal, it is not the salvation that Jesus died to give. Praise the Lord. Amen. A lot of people will hear you say things like that. What do I, first of all, what do I mean by eternal salvation? I'm talking about salvation that cannot be lost. Praise the Lord. Amen. Salvation is not a plan you subscribe to and then you have to renew that subscription every day. Do you get what I'm saying? If unbelievers will go to hell because of their sin and believers go to hell because of the sin, then what's the point? If as an unbeliever because I lied, I'm going to hell. But as a believer, because I lied, I'm also going to hell, then why why don't I just live as an unbeliever and catch cruise and have fun? <laughs> Praise the Lord. He says he became the source of eternal salvation a salvation that cannot be lost john chapter 3 verse 16 for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life that life begins when you believe and if if it does not last forever it's not everlasting Do you get This is the reason why, in in previous verses that we've read, the writer of Hebrews keeps explaining to you that sin is not the barrier between you and God. What I mean by sin, I'm talking about the wrong actions you do every now and again. You know, the lies you tell. It's not the barrier between you and God. I know when you were growing up, um, there was a statement they used to say, that heaven is a place full of surprises. And they used to mean that statement like this, that brothers and sisters, be careful. Because somebody that you thought was a candidate for heaven on the last day, <laughs> you just miss it. I don't know how many of you have seen that. Um, I don't know if it's a story. It's a story, actually, of a pastor that was very, very, very good. He was very, you know, holy. And then he one day, was angry with his wife. Shout out of the house and the car hit him. And he died. And he appeared before heaven's gates and the angels told him, you are going to hell. He said, why? He said, because of anger. You sinned in your anger. So all your life of goodness was negated by that one act of anger. I'm not doing no. (laughs) If that's how it is, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Because I think it's a very unfair gamble by God. Think about it. It's an unfair gamble. God knows that you're going to lie. He knows you're going to make a mistake. So he's like, I'm waiting for you. <laughs> and listen, anybody that believes, uh, anybody that claims to believe that you make heaven based on your works, on the things you do, does not truly really believe it. Because you ask them, are you going to heaven? You say, by God's grace. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Say, are you going to go to heaven? Say, when you die now, where are you going to heaven by God's grace? No, heaven by his grace. <laughs> okay, okay. We understand. Then they are preaching heaven based on good works. So please, is it by his grace or by the works you are doing? Because it seems to me like if it is by the works you are doing, it's not by His grace at all. He has nothing to do with it. <laughs> you say believing is not enough. You have to keep your salvation. You have to keep your salvation. Walk out your salvation with fear. That's right. <laughs> Philippians two twelve. <laughs> Show it to us in KGV. Philippians two twelve. Alright, he says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Everybody read the last line one together. Walk out your salvation with fear. Brothers and sisters, be careful. You don't know the hour or the moment. You've got to walk out your own salvation with fear and trembling. (laughs) Uh, let's see what the ESV says. <laughs> Do you have another translation? HCSB or NIV or something? Amplified. Okay, therefore, my dear ones, as you have always obeyed my suggestions, so now not only with the enthusiasm you would show in my presence, but much more because I am absent, walk out, cultivate, carry out to the goal and fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe <laughs> and trembling. So, Now, this is just This is wrong translation. <laughs> This is just wrong translation. Um, Thank uh, uh, Please, who has the NLT? (laughs) Please read NLT for me. Thank you. Okay, this is NLT. Thank you. Look at this. It says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was away with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. When I was with you and now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. When people read this scripture, this is how they read it. They read out, walk out to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what they read with their lips. But what they are reading in their mind is, walk for your salvation with fear and trembling. But what the writer intended is, there is a salvation inside you, Work it out. So it means you are saved. Show us that you are saved. Do you understand? Do you see the difference? So it's not work for your salvation, but work from your salvation. Hey, I'm preaching good. It's not work, <laughs> it's not work for your salvation, but work from a place of salvation. So when he says, Walk out your salvation with your hands, he's not saying, brothers and sisters, you've got to take care of yourself and keep trying to do good and keep trying to be saved. And how do I even know? The next verse explains it. He now says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Do you see? So, there's a the power of God inside of you. God is putting His desires inside of you, and He's just telling you, carry out those desires that God has put inside of you. There's nothing about your salvation that requires your efforts. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Say, brothers, if you don't, if you cut your hair in a certain way, have you noticed that these rules update as fashion updates? Yeah. <laughs> have you noticed it? Mohawk is a sin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't, Ladies, don't wear your hair in some certain type of way. If you don't wear hair scarf, uh, ultimate sin. So if it was her scarf that was going to stop us from going to heaven, why did Jesus have to die? Why didn't God just rain down her scarf? <laughs> Let's know that He cares about the thing so much. <laughs> Praise the Lord! Say this with me: I'm saved. I'm saved. Eternally, I'm saved. Eternally, I'm saved. Irrevocably, I am saved. Jesus said, All these that you have given to me, I have kept, and no man can snatch them away from my hands. Have, do you ever look, when you read scriptures like that, what do you do with them? Just say, Jesus, I've heard you, but I've got to walk for my salvation. <laughs> when, when you read, what do you do with those? For God, Oh, wow. Jude chapter 24. Jude verse 24 jude has one chapter so let's read verse 24 i hope you're writing please don't just laugh we'll write jude 24 he says look at this everybody look at the screen now glory to god who is able to keep you from falling away wow god is able to keep you from falling away Listen, you might think that your work of faith, your work of righteousness on this earth is your own power. He says, No, God is able to keep you from falling away, and not only that, He will bring you with great joy into His glorious presence without a single fault. So, listen. All you are doing on the earth right now. All the faith walk. All the perseverance. All those things you are doing. The Bible says is God that is keeping you from falling away. And not only that. On the last day. When you come finally the amount of joy in his heart. Oh glory. The amount of joy in his heart. And when he sees you. He says faultless. So you see that fear you have of the final day? That fear that, oh, when you come before God, they open one large book. No. When he sees you, he just declares you faultless. Faultless, faultless, faultless. No faults, no sin, no problems. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. You and I together, eternal source of salvation. I can trust, I can put my trust I can, I can take it to the bank Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh wow Whew, Thank you Lord Jesus Just give him thanks for what he has done Give him thanks for the salvation he has given to you Just give him thanks Give him thanks Thank you so much. Pause for a minute. Look at this. Let's look at this verse again. He says, he's able to keep you from falling. And not only will he do that, he would bring you with great joy. Listen. God's attitude towards you every day is an attitude of joy. you understand that? God is always in a place of joy concerning your life. So when you look at yourself and you say, oh, God is so disappointed in me. God is like, who, who, me? No. Never, never disappointed. Always in a place of joy concerning you. That like, oh, so the Holy Ghost was talking to me and he told me he was angry. No, not you not you praise the lord Hallelujah. he will bring oh wow. listen the creation story or parts of the creation story was a metaphor for god's work in your life so paul says god who caused light to shine out of darkness has caused his glo- the light of his glorious gospel to shine through your hearts and guess what happened? The Bible says when God finished creating, what did he, he saw that it was good. When God looks at you, he sees good. Perfect. Faultless. God didn't create Adam and say, "Hmm, Adam, this is your left leg. Something is missing. You have to be walking in this type of way. No. When he created Adam, he said, good. But, the Bible says that Jesus is a better Adam a better creation and we are created after christ not after the first adam which means we are better creations than the original man when god looks at you it's not just your physical that is good your spirit soul body all good before him you are in a place of right standing before god forever listen wake up every day with that confidence god rejoices over me with singing Listen, if God sings about me, I've got to sing about myself what he says. is that true. If he says I'm righteous, then who am I to say I'm not righteous? Let's try to finish up Hebrews chapter 5. Whew, thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, glory. glory. It says, I'm being made perfect. He became the author of salvation unto all them that obey him. Next verse. He now says, "Called of God and High Priest after the order of Melchizedek." Next verse, of whom we have many things to say and had to be uttered, saying that you are dull of hearing. We'll stop here because um, next week we're going to talk about reprobacy, and we'll start from here. All right, praise the Lord.